welcome to New Persuasive Words, a podcast of hope-seeking understanding. You're invited to listen in to an ongoing conversation about theology, culture, and politics between your co-hosts, Scott Jones and Bill Bohr. Regardless of topic, Bill and Scott offer intelligent insights and critiques, sometimes funny, occasionally contentious, but always remaining friends. Now, here are Scott and Bill. So this is the f- first live crossover podcast, New Persuasive Words and Crackers and Grape Juice. So grace and peace and welcome. All. Good to meet you all. It's so good to meet Bill and the flesh. So to start... It's everything I expected it would be. Endless. <laughs> a D-minus experience. <laughs> So what I much more impressive from a distance. So here's again, here's how I thought we'd start the conversation. I would like Jason Michelli to pose a question to Bill Bohr. I assume they'll go back and forth. We'll have a few seconds of back and forth, uh, and then we'll open it up to the table. Sound good? Any amendments or, uh, or uh, cross? Yes, I was a member of the Communist Party, but only for a few years. Yeah, only for a few years. <laughs> so, uh, Jason, your question to Bill Ward. All right, so so Say it so the table can hear. So, Bill, we are uh, here in New York for the Mockingbird Conference, the twelfth annual. The twelfth annual. Uh, not even a baker's dozen yet, and. Um, we can expect to hear reiterated the Protestant core theme of salvation by grace alone through faith alone. And so I want your reformed quasi-Bardian response to the notion that... Quasi-Bardian is an insult to Bill. <laughs> uh, no. Just so we know. All right, all right. So, we know. Well, so, so listeners can't see this. Bill is getting both of his drinks ready right now. He's double fisting right now. To respond He's, to your, your uh, question. Did you see Adam Morton is here? Good to see him. Second half of 1518. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So, so Bill, question. like the question uh, I have is and it's just a leading question, is how how do we understand the Christian life in light of the message that everything has been done for us in Christ? Uh, is, so, so is there anything for us to do as Christians? Uh, is the Christian life worth living? Is, is, there, is there even such a thing as the Christian life? Robert Capon said no. Donald Trump says yes. Um... Those you are know. my options. It's and the most tremendous life Okay, so here's the drinking game. Ever lived. And Every time Scott does an impression of Donald Trump, everybody has to, you know. <laughs> and, um... Bill, you can take the fifth at any point. <laughs> and, 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 this is like a multi-part question. So, and if... If the message that everything has been done for us does not negate what we do... How do we guard against thinking that we need to do such that we forget that everything has been done? Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, I, I would affirm grace. Well, so you want to do a presidential thing. First of all, let me thank uh, everybody. Thank you for the question. Jared Jones. Todd Littleton. 
Todd Lindzen doesn't give them anything. They go our Patreon sponsor. He's a cheapskate, Southern Baptist preacher. No, I mean, I think, first of all... Adam Morton, though... Are you a Patreon? You're going to have to become one. He's a a, a poor graduate. The soon-to-be patron, Adam Morton. Guilt fed into giving more. (laughs) No, not any guilt. I actually... I'm a leech. You know, I I think we always have to talk about grace alone. I think with Aquinas, I would say that when uh, God rewards uh, our merits, He rewards His own work. So I would say that, you know, anything we do is in, by, through Christ. But I would also say that you have to be careful not to negate, like, the entire New Testament um, and, and the emphasis of 2,000 years of Christian teaching that the Christian life matters. How much of the New Testament can be negated? Just right, well, for the at, record. I mean, at right, at right, what point right. do we stop reading? All right, Jude, Jude and Second Peter. <laughs> <laughs> No, certainly, I want to. I I want to affirm that uh, everything is through by, like I said, Christ. That it is when we, even when we love one another, which, by the way, is a law. There is a law in the Christian life. It's called the law of Christ, which Paul tells us. Nonetheless, it's Christ in me, loving Christ in you, which Bonhoeffer said. And uh, I, so, I, I. It's not that I'm thinking that we're ever saved by our works, but I also want to say that I don't think faith, saving faith. Uh, apart from it being completed in love, is truly the full act of grace. So part of the, you know, I think there were, like you and I were talking before we got on, I think Luther was an important corrective, and perhaps he can be a helpful corrective. I think what I see in the Mockingbird community, you have people kind of moving out of kind of a rigid fundamentalism where grace was denied. You have people moving from a grace-denying liberalism, which for the most part isn't even Christianity anymore and I think the message of Luther can be a reform for both of that but don't also remember that you know um, Luther can't be the new canon so I mean the Bible Paul defines Luther Luther doesn't define Paul can Luther be the canon up to the second half of 1518 <laughs> <laughs> yes I, I stand correct so, so, right, so, so you, you mentioned Bonhoeffer um, talk about the danger in an emphasis on grace alone obscuring Bonhoeffer's emphasis on how the church is the presence of Christ in the world today. Yeah, I mean, I think the the danger is always with any kind of, um, you know, I mean, I've, I've seen it in different forms. I grew up in kind of a Bible Christianity. So the idea that, you know, you get saved. You have your you have your eternal security, and then you do whatever the hell you want to. I mean, I've seen that. And then the other hand, I've seen spending most of my career in mainline denomination where um, Christ, you know, the, the idea of working for the kingdom of God somehow God and the kingdom get kind of dropped out. Of I mean, so for me, the idea that everything has been done. Well, I would say this. I mean, because it's done in heaven doesn't mean it's happened here on earth. We pray that every week. You know, we pray, you know, that the will be done on earth as in heaven, which implies it's not. And so I do think there's a sense where uh, even though we can rest in the work of Christ, um, and we certainly can celebrate the promise of the resurrection, the hope of the resurrection, um, you know, we still live in mostly a crucified world. And so I think that requires us to 
I mean, I think Bonhoeffer is a great example where often our, our categories, whatever they be, get blown up by reality. Because he's a Lutheran that sounds like a pietist, depending but, on how you're well, hearing it. I don't think pietism is a bad word. But, but what, 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 what about the average So I always think about the average person in church. The average person in church, when they're praying the Lord's Prayer, doesn't give a second thought to what you just said. To, to as it is in heaven, let's somewhat do that as best we can down here. We're just trying to get through it. But that's our fault as pastors. As pastors, it's our fault. If they don't fault. give it a second thought... Then we haven't done our job. Does that mean we need to slow down when we're saying it, or we need to, or we need to, to do teach. better preaching? I have the better teaching. Okay. So, uh, this shouldn't just be me. Adam, can you first say second half of 1518? The second half of 1518? <laughs> I can be more specific. Like, between August and the end of 1518, so, you know, the last really four months, four or five months of it. Is that helpful? It incredibly helped. Okay. To respond to what Bill is, is talking about. Right. As a resident Lutheran, come, come to the defense. I'm formulating how to do this. And I, I guess... My concern here. My son goes to Catholic school. <laughs> but yeah. can I just say and, something? And I, I coached him up. So like the first couple weeks of school, I was like, "All right, religion class. You like you tell them your favorite Catholic is Martin Luther." By the way, and then week two, Jason I was like, "All right." Over, like, wait, I never got any of this coaching. I was like, "Yeah." Hence is why I'm at a bar no, five at night. Got it. And then week two, I was like, "All right, tell them your favorite Catholic, John Calvin." And then I ran out of people. But, all right, go ahead. You weren't going to say Zwingli was your another favorite Catholic? Uh, no, we're like, no. Can we just add that before you make your comment that you're wearing a Game of Thrones shirt that says, I drink and I know things. I am. And you're not a tall guy, which is fantastic. No, I've never been a tall guy. So I think what I'm wondering about here is something more experiential. Thomas isn't on an entirely wrong footing, of course, when, if we're going to say that... that you just say Thomas Aquinas is okay? He is in many ways okay. I, I, I will quote the great Simeon Zoll in this. The Thomas. Church, the church thanks you for, for validating Thomas Aquinas. Thomas... Thomas is 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 very, almost always the second best answer to a theological question. <laughs> Somebody else. <laughs> Depends the man, on the question. The, the man is sheer genius. Just um, give him that. Whether or not you like oh, yeah. it, Phil, all the time, he's sheer. Well, genius. that line wasn't mine. Uh, on this one, I think Luther has him. Thomas is attempting to resolve with the matter of. Metaphysics, and he does the metaphysics well. I'm not going to say he doesn't. Uh, something that I'm not sure resolves that way in the Christian life, which is, yeah, it, it's true that the good works I do are God producing them in me. That's fine. It's also true that the New Testament it's says, also in the book of "Well, it's a, you, yes, sure." It, it's, it's. I don't deny it. It's also and that doesn't hurt your case in Bill's mind. I wouldn't think. Uh, it is also true that the New Testament says in a few different ways that God rewards us for these works. 
Um, so I can't just reject that out of hand either. However, the fact of God working these works in me, in the Christian, is in my own life, is actually very abstract to me. I cannot see that happening. What I can see are my works. This is, this, is an, this is an experiential matter. I do the things that I do, and I can see the things that I do. I can't see God working them in me. And so we end up at something of an, maybe worse than an impasse here. If that is the answer we are giving to questions about about faith and works or about um, about merit after a fashion then in the end I'm still just being asked to keep an eye on my works and I think it's an incredibly slippery business to keep reminding myself of this sort of abstraction that well of course God is doing this work in me it's true he is um, but not to then focus on the work itself. I, I don't think I'm saying focus. First, are you baptized? I am baptized. Yes, I don't think that... So, you, so in other words, you have baptismal grace and you received the Holy Spirit. I think I received the Holy Spirit at baptism. I'm going to oh, throw, we, I'm going to throw confirmation into the mix, but sure, sure. So, yes. So... <laughs> So, and if you didn't, you get a receipt. You have a receipt but, for that. You right. Get, get a refund. But is it or a sense? Can't you? I mean, can't you trust in the mystery of God working in you? And also, the fact is, I mean, when when Christ said, which we just celebrated on Monday Thursday, that I do command my gift to you that you're to love one another, and that the world will know you're my disciples by the way you love each other. I mean, is it or a sense? Can we trust that, in spite of how imperfect we do that? that the Holy Spirit is in those kind of actions, is in the, our acts of, of, of attempts at charity that somehow when we act, or caritas, when we act in a loving way, that we're striving to live out the Spirit within us. Uh, there's, there's a slippage here. Am I justified or will I eventually be justified well, the by Bible, these works? Doesn't the Bible say both things, that we are being saved as well? Salvation is a past thing, happened in the work of Christ. But it's I'm, a future event in the New Testament. But I'm not sure. But isn't it a present participle as well? Aren't there it, examples it Both in the New do Testament? occur. I understand so how I'm saying, saying it. I'm saying salvation is a dynamic thing. I understand. But I understand, granted, the past event, how one can it's describe it in the present. Present participle. I, 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 no, I understand how, given the past event, you can describe it in the present. I am not sure how, if finally justification is to occur on the basis of those things that God has eventually produced in me, how I can ever say that I have been saved. Well, That's say, the problem. Well, the salvation happened in the work of Christ. I mean, can't you say that in reality? What does that mean? All, we all were saved in 38 year, wherever it happened, whatever. Okay. All right? But at the same dynamic, we don't live... That hasn't happened for us. And at the same time, there certainly is a lot of emphasis. I mean, a, a, a certain, a majority of the New Testament is really dealing with 
what it means for us to live out when, the reality of God's mission. When does it happen for us? Does it happen for us in my sort of realization of a potential that God Second has half set up? Fifteen eighteen. Not fifteen eighteen. That's when it happens for us. I mean, um, I, mean I want to say thirty-eight days, or you know, on the cross, or whatever. But also, let's throw I mean, in fifteen eighteen. I, I, I agree that it has to happen in my life. This is where it happens. You, you, you brought it up. I am baptized. So, in my case, it happened on or about the first of October, nineteen seventy-eight. You're my age. Yeah. Holy crap, you look a lot better than me. It's a gift. <laughs> All right, so, so Bill, I'm going to pivot a little bit, and then Josh has got a question. Uh, uh, talk, because I know you, uh, so, so I know you can do this, um, but you, you're kind of, so there's a Venn diagram between Mockingbird and the other part of the Christian church, you're kind of in the middle. Uh, you don't need to comment on that. Yeah, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't really think of that terms. I'm just. That's not how I define myself. So, uh, uh, but, but um, for people listening, and for people here, um, talk a little bit about how an emphasis on justification by faith alone, by grace alone through faith alone, can be produced by or reflect a church that has accommodated itself to Constantinianism. I'm, I'm sorry, would you ask that last part again? So so talk a little bit about how justification by faith um, can be a doctrine that reflects and is produced by an accommodation to Constantinian Christendom. <laughs> uh, I just, big fat fastball across the place. Yeah, uh, yeah, first of all, I'm not, uh, I'm not one of those people that think everything that's wrong in Christianity happened because of Constantine. Uh, <laughs> We've done a pretty good Bill, job now Bill, messing things up. I'll, I'll just know that the Anglicans are the ones clapping. And from the right. That's <laughs> from what I think is politically. No, but in the more conservative people on the table, you're getting no, William F. Buckley is clapping. In all seriousness, though, Bill, like, Bill makes a great point because we like to blame so much on what's happened in the past with Christianity that what is like what the church is doing today like people like us around this table like we are f- fucking stuff up left and right and passing the blame on to uh, yeah. other folks I'll say it differently okay, yeah. is justification by faith a doctrine that is only intelligible in a Constantinian culture that presumes the invisible church that assumes the what? That presumes the invisible church. And not a visible church that God has put into the world for a particular vocation related to the salvation of the world. Can I translate that? Is there a, a bridge between Harawas and Bart? <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if, they're, if, if, they're, if they're both Christians, there certainly is a bridge. And, and I actually, you know, I... I, uh, this is, I actually... I, w- I went to a real Anabaptist church for a couple of years. I was a teaching elder in a Mennonite church uh, while I was a young library director. Um, and uh, so I have a deep appreciation for, the, for those who emphasize uh, a, visible, a visible form of Christianity. The interesting thing is they were, they were great at um, doing the practical living out of the Christianity. Every time I preached on grace there, which was every time I preached, it was like a new idea for them. So, I, the, you know, I, 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 I'm actually one of those people that I think it was good at Augustine 1 and Pelagius didn't. Um, part, but Scott calls you a Pelagian. 
Well, we're, the whole church is semi-Pelagian. Well, I've never called Bill a Pelagian. I have said that's, that's actually the flirts, nicest thing you've ever called Bill. I said he flirts with semi-Pelagian. Well, the, the whole church is semi-Pelagian <laughs> because it's all semi-Augustinian. No, <laughs> right? I mean, everybody said we love Augustine, but even Bonaventure said, at point said, Augustine's wonderful. That's how my but, wife talks about me. It's yeah. fine. It's, anyway, no, I, I actually, I mean, for me, there's a sense where... Um, you know, I, I kind of grew up in the same thing uh, Newman grew up in, Bible Christianity. Wait, you just said you grew up in Bible Christianity, but then you grew up with Newman in the Anglican. No, I said, like, I mean, what Newman... Like, like what Newman? No, like Newman, when Newman had, like, Bible Christianity. I thought you were so, talking about Mad Magazine. Newman grew up in England. And he called it Bible Christianity. Okay, okay. All right. My, my guess is, my guess, point, is, my guess is, people always appreciate that we're Bible. Well, no, I mean I'm talking about when it, that work in Newman's work where he defines his journey. Never mind. Anyway. I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it? because of the conversations you find here. If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month or more? It's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcast projects I've got in the works. So I invite you. To be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David Babico, Andrew Stravitz, Barry Stewart, Ben Crosby, Ben DeHart, Carol Clemens, Charlotte Donlin, David Norling, David Zoll, Ellis Brazil, Jennifer Spite, Jennifer Underwood, Jim Cress, Joel Wentz, John Schneider, Jonathan Butran, Jordan Mossberger, Josh Redder, Kai Wittenpeg, Larry Rule, Liam O'Brien, Michael Butera, Peter Steigerwald, Samantha Konauer, Sari Graham, Simone Garabedi, and Stephen Rowe, and Jody Stevenson. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the show. No, I'm just saying that there's a sense where I, I had a deep appreciation for people whose lives, I mean, it was Methodism, too. Before it was United, it was just straight-up Methodism. It was this idea that people, you know, first, one of the things I described what's different about the fundamentalism, the Bible Christianity I grew up in, and evangelicalism today was, for instance, if I grew up, I was in West Virginia. So, if in West Virginia, there are a lot of racist people there. But if someone said something racist back then, they would say, "Now, brother, you shouldn't talk that way." And it was, it was there was this kind of sense of that there was an idea that being a Christian, we're saved by grace alone, but that we needed to be different than what everybody else around us. And I think that, to me. Um, is, is kind of a, in some levels a convergence of the two things. In other words, it's all a function of grace, but it doesn't matter how we live and how we treat one another. And I think that was kind of, I think there was a primitive Christian instinct, and in, uh, not everything I grew up with was right, but there was something about the primitive church and the biblical Christianity that I think we're all naturally attracted to if we let ourselves. So I think the attraction to Luther among many of you is a corrective, whether it be a corrective to 
just a purely kind of, in essence, a works religion that that masks under the guise of social justice. Uh, this has nothing really to do with either society or justice, or is it a kind of fundamentalism that has its own list of the, of the Ten Commandments, the ones that we don't break? Okay, so they make that's we have our own individual Ten Commandments. So I think there's a wonderful message that's that Luther got from Stauputz. Uh, about the centrality of Paul and the, and the idea of the love of Christ. So I think that's a wonderful rediscovery every time we do that. So I, I'll, sorry, so I'll offer a hypothesis, and I'm going to let Jared and Josh weigh in. No, they don't want to. Who gives a shit? I like how, like, Jason's only, like, frame of reference is a Zoom conversation. So it's like, he's like, all right, I'll let Jared, he's on the Zoom. And then, and then, and then, and then, and then and Josh weigh in. I like I like to pay it forward. Um, so for me, I think one of the appeals of, of uh, a community like Mockingbird, where the focus is on grace, is that the kind of like retrieving the core doctrines of the Protestant Reformation is a way of of naming and creating a community of people that is not dependent on the red and blue tribes that the Christian church largely, like those are largely the only options in our culture. Um, Anytime that we can transcend the tribalism of any generation, that is, a, that is a and, and so, so for me, it's you know like largely whether we're conservative Christians or progressive Christians, we're largely members of a works righteousness tribe, and the works righteousness largely reproduces the politics we would have had anyway, and that so uh, like a hyper focus on grace is a way of breaking out of those um, artificial boundaries. And, and I think if that is what helps you do it, then God bless you. <laughs> Um, but enough for me. Is that the only thing that helps you do it? Um, I'd really like to hear from um, members say with Jared Jones. And oh, no, no, no. You can't. No. What, what am I going to say? A man who wears Brooks Brothers is a man ready to take the mic. Say some words. I do wear Brooks Brothers. I, I got this. Uh, this is a $500 jacket I got for $25 on eBay. So I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about that. But. What's the question? I don't know if there is. Just opine. Oh, opine. Oh, You're a white man. You can do it. That's right. Um, I love Mockingbird. I like and that. I've, I would like to publicly repent for calling Bill a moralist. That was rude. And he's one of my favorite. He's If he's a moralist, he's one of my favorite moralists. <laughs> by, by the way, you may be the first person in the history of the world who ever called me a moralist. So I kind of like There you go. All right. Well, I like to be unique. I can say that. So... Um, yeah, well, I, I did attack you one time. Not I don't attack think you. I believe that, and I think sometimes when you call the moralist, you like it. Well, anything anybody who's against me saying something to me, I kind of like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I don't have much to opine on. I think, uh, I think you know, somebody at Mockingbird once wrote an article about how grace is not a principle that we apply to any. Um, Political endeavor. Were you the or, little boy that wrote it? Oh, yeah. You know what? Actually, I wrote it. Um, <laughs> that, uh, Wait, hold on. You're quoting yourself. No. Well, I haven't I quoted myself yet. Um, totally okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. One of my professors in seminary was John Frame, and he would just read from his own book, theology book, the whole time. And I just thought, well, I guess if you've written it, you can do that. Raise your hand if you're a John Frame fan. 
I haven't. I have not raised my. I mean. Okay, so there's a couple of us. So I am a huge Sean Frame fan. I mean, I do think the conversation about politi- uh, like politics is different. Uh, to me, politics seems to be how we apply the law and what the role of the law is um, in maybe creation or maybe in our. I, I don't. I don't know. But grace uh, seems to be to me. Grace seems to be something that Christ gi- it's a gift that Christ gives to the church, to sinners sp- specifically that uh, that grace is not like something some kind of ethereal abstract principle that we apply to things but it's actually something that Christ as God himself gives to sinners and therefore we should be careful anytime we start to talk about grace too much in the abstract I guess uh, apart from the justifying God and the sinner uh, is is my is my thought. If I was opining, so here's where I would throw it back to somebody, but no one's at the mic. So I'm serving the ball here. Here we go. And okay, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to address the Christian life question. Someone take this thing. So for the New Yorkers, Thank you. 2007, January 2nd, there was this unseasonably warm winter, right? And if, you, Brooklyn, if you're going to like read a Frank like quote right now, I'm going to scream. Well, frankly, was dead. I know. I know. 2007, right? Uh, I have no idea. Well, no, he's alive, and he is, is he? right here. There's Frank Lake. Oh, <laughs> in the in the Brooklyn Botanical Gardens, right? Like people were there, and there was a film, a twenty-something-year-old film student on the subway platform like you know that day because it was unseasonably warm global warming climate change Langhorn hopefully the bunker will be beachfront property but in that unseasonably warm day this kid goes into convulsions and he falls down on the platform and a, a woman and her two children and like two other people help him and then he convulses again and falls into the subway platform and this guy who's like in his 50s, right? A construction worker who I had to look up there. Wesley Autry. He goes, and when the guy falls into the subway platform, he leaves his two daughters of four and six, Saisha and Shaqui, who are on the platform, and jumps right before the train hits on top of the kid because the kid was on the tracks pulled the kid into the middle of the tracks and laid down on top of him. He was the New York subway hero, right? I mean, this guy is this construction worker. And when, you know, there was a, a Bloomberg was the mayor at the time. There was all this, I mean, fanfare. I'm sure in New York. Ben, you're, you remember this, right? I was actually in Pittsburgh. These two were here. Yeah, you guys were here, right? Right, okay. So New Yorkers remember no it. But lived in New York. Here we go. <laughs> I spent. Uh, January. And so, several million, just nobody at the table. Can, can you prove that though? Continue. Matt Lauer was here. So they asked him the subway hero. It is a word. It is a word ceremony. They asked him, and this is a great moment, right? What would, what motivated you to do that? And he said, "I guess I just did what anybody would have done," which is exactly that when no one would say. Or, or, or you would say, it's 
for climate change or for this or for this. I mean, you would... I don't think I would have done that for climate change. Well, you want to figure out a way, either of my guesses, to say something about you, what you cared about and how whatever you cared about in your human apotheosis, you're building, you know, the stairway to heaven. Well, this is what connected me. The guy's just like, I would have done what anybody would have done. And why people were into it was because no one would have done it. <laughs> and I feel like that's the gratuitous nature of the Christian life where it's like Paul says, you know, I die daily. It's not, it's not me, but the Christ that lives in me, right? So on some level, it's not that there's not a Christian life worth living. It's just that the moment you draw attention to your living it, it in, it, it, well, well, I don't know that you're either. It just instantly crumbled. I mean, like, the sweetness of the gift, uh, it, it's like one of those things that, like, uh, this side of heaven crumbles quickly once you see it. Like, like the transfiguration, right? Like, this amazing moment where I feel like every moment where we're living the Christian life, uh, authentically, not just, like, doing something Christian, but actually our motives are, let's just say, 60% pure. Uh, the moment we realize they're 60% pure, which is a good debt, it dissipates. And and the whole thing spoils. So I, I, so I would side with Bill. It's very important. Uh, I would side with... I will side with just Bill. But, uh, but I, I'm not against anything else anybody said, but I'm sitting next to Bill. And I also want to thank Todd Littleton for doing the hardest thing, monitoring, which is impossible. So let's have uh, more contributions from the audience. Ben, to heart. Oh, wow. <laughs> Just like anything. Say some words. All right, I'll say some words. I kind of want to like get beyond. I feel like we're done a lot of eyes and crossing a lot of T's, and that's just it was never really my thing. You want and I feel like outside the lines. Both of your podcasts. He wants to color really outside the lines. That. So like I feel like let's get away from that a little bit. Um, oh my are God. you saying we're not? Doing He's going to take his shirt off right now. <laughs> it feels that's awkward. True. It feels awkward for me too, Ben. <laughs> you're not on the vestry, are you? <laughs> okay. All right. You're fine. You're not good. Yet, Go. Yet. Why aren't you? <laughs> He's getting there. He's getting there. That's what we only have kids acolyte. I've never had a bearded acolyte before. Would you feel intimidated? They do a job. Or I think Jason would feel less than. would be such an awesome. He had a bearded acolyte. Oh my gosh! It's not that he doesn't want to. It's that he his ego couldn't handle having a bearded acolyte. Okay, I think I know what I want. So actually, I I I I messaged this to Jason the other day. And I said to him that, I mean, I love theology, but I'm frustrated by a lot of it. I, I read J. Lewis Martin a couple of years ago, and there was so much verve. It was his Galatians commentary. And I've been, like, ruined for commentaries ever since because they're dry, they're boring. Maybe every once in a while you get a gem. But that commentary, even if you disagreed with parts of it, it was just, it made you want to be a Christian. And I feel like Fleming Rutledge is very similar in her sermons and in that crucifixion book. This is just, there's so much verve and there's a, a fire to it. So I guess where I am going to totally hijack this conversation and just, and you can kind of answer this however you want, but... And I want to say, as a proud 
Patreon sponsor. Oh, okay. Of New for everything we're doing. Of the I'm, other I'm, podcast. I'm very proud that you're hijacking it. Mm. Do whatever you want, my friend. Our sponsor, I, Bill. I want to know. our Patreon, Bill. This uh, is our, this is the guy who gives money. You got 15 seconds before you have to become a patron okay. of our podcast, too. I don't care if it's Luther One, or Aquinas or whomever. Three, four. Who makes you want to be a Christian? Tell me who they are. Tell me why. Your question? Yes. Oh, yeah. That's Jesus. a very good question. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is not an acceptable answer here. <laughs> That's almost as good as he's rolling over in his grave, but post Easter. <laughs> Bill has an answer. <laughs> my maternal grandmother is why probably the most important influence of my life uh, she couldn't read or write beyond a fourth grade education because that's all she had. Uh, her um, mother probably would have been diagnosed with some sort of psychological thing. Uh, her two sisters were from two different men, so she was. Uh, her father left the family because her mother had kind of left them, and she was raised and abused by a grandmother and uh, who knows what else. We don't know. For all intents and purposes, she was kind of sold as an indentured slave indentured servant as a child, as a teenager and worked for uh, a rich family in uh, Petersburg, uh, West Virginia. Um, there was not a bitter bone in her body. I mean, she was um, like joy. And um, she um, loved Jesus and would sing what a friend we have in Jesus. And as a kid, I thought if... Um, if Jesus is anything like her, then I need to know this Jesus. That's why probably I'm a Christian, other than grace alone, by faith. But, I mean, the, the story Bill just told us, though, it mirrors a story that all of us have. There's, a, there's some, I mean, and this ties back into the lectionary text for this week. There is somebody who will serve as a sign to us to the promise of the resurrection, to the promise that Christ has placed in all of our lives. Um, And it's not unreasonable for us to ask for that sign. I mean, John's gospel tells us time and time again that the disciples received signs of exactly what was happening at the time it was happening. And so throughout our lives, there are those, those people and so, I mean, Bill's, Bill's story just reminds me of, of Lori and my own grandparents. Who, and I'm sure everybody around the table has that exact same story of, of a saint who's gone before us, who, who has pointed us towards Christ, not fully living into the, the fullness of Christ's own life, because we all know that's, like, not possible. We all know it's impossible for us. But doing it to the fullness, or better than any Speak of us... For yourself. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, there you go. There was, uh, the meth, I mean, even as the she, two at the yeah, table, so that was, was the first like, place I You all need to get on board with what we're selling on this and side. And she also taught me, I mean, from the earliest, from the time I could know words, they were the Bible. So her love for, it was all, so her love for the Bible was born in that too. So Markwood Methodist Church, uh, Route 50, is where, was where I heard all about Jesus. So, I hope you Methodists can work things out. Uh, no, I'm going now. 
Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Power wasp, Bart. Power wasp. Your mm-hmm. turn. Go ahead. Wait, will I? No, so, <laughs> no, so I, I mean, I, I mean, I've got personal stories. I've got personal stories, but I, I would say that what your question calls to mind is that that the Christian faith requires exemplification kind of answers the question about the Christian life itself. And it's further answered by the fact that for most of Christian history, most Christians couldn't read. And so the people around them were the text. Um, And then to get to your Fleming, J. Lewis, Martin point, I, I do think when we talk about grace alone and everything has been done, it flattens the story of Scripture. And it misses Paul's notion that there are still powers in the world that God is contending against. And that God, so it's not so much like Christian life sounds way too pastoral and passive and sentimental. Um, but especially in Romans, you have this sense from Paul that like God is conscripting people into what he is doing in the world against a power that is not God. And in that that larger backdrop to just focus on what Christ has done for you is to is to really narrow and flatten the the narrative of Scripture. I think, um, and so, and that's not to negate the doctrine of grace or justification or or the finality of what was done on the cross. Um, but you know, creation is still groaning in labor pains against an enemy that doesn't know that it's been defeated um, and that by our bap- I mean our baptism isn't just that grace is given to us it's that we are drowned into an army um, that God is 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 recruiting still recruiting and, and recruiting infants so therefore drafting <laughs> um <laughs> You know, and, and with particular weapons, you know, called the gospel and the word and wine and bread. Um, Grace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so like, I guess what's missing, what's present in Fleming that is often missing in the church is the awareness that grace is not just a word of pardon. It's, it's God's word of, it's a, it's a weapon in a world that's held captive still. Which is problematic for a lot of Christians because we like to think of grace as a warm and fuzzy it's feeling. It's amazing. Right? That we just ex- absorb so and we take on uh, and we might show it to other people uh, every now and then, but it's not something that we are actively using um, to transform the world in a way that is to, to transform things that are contrary to the will of God and the kingdom of God that Christ revealed to us. And what's interesting is that, like, because I'm pretty sure J. Lewis Martin was a Lutheran. Um, Not really. What did you stop? Um, <laughs> but the actual point is that, like, like that apocalyptic motif is Lutheran. That, that is. That is. Um, you know, and so, like, maybe the wisdom of... of uh, you know, 
It's the New Testament. It's Paul. Well, it's the New Testament, but yeah. like it's all it's present Bernard, there. It's Bernard Clairvaux. And so it's Francis. And so it's. I mean, it, well, I Francis. It's it's 20th century recovery. Okay, so like, I mean, you got the football. We're talking about grace being weaponized at this point, so you have to take it. I move to suspend the rules. That's how we do it. So that Scott Jones can participate. I want to answer Ben's... The chair recognizes the man in the Argyle sweater. Original question. I, my wife, for two things, she... Because you asked who concretely did it. Because she had a really tough faith story and also a tough biological... Just teenage health challenge. Um, and also is patient with me, which is not easy to do. So that's my answer to you. and that And that's... In the deepest sincerity, um, I, I just want to say something to what you were saying about grace as a weapon. It's a weapon that I think, as soon as you see you're wielding it, it wilts. Like it, 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 it's a weapon that you can't. It, again, this is the story of the guy in New York. Like, when, and and again, it's not that. This is where Luther's two kingdoms. Uh, you know, like. I think there's much in the world that God orders to our good. If we're talking about things of the new creation, generally we don't wield them consciously. Like, and the minute where it's like the it's like the minute when you do something nice for your spouse or your friend, and then you say, "Hey, I, you know, I call attention to what uh, you know I've done for you, or you owe me, or something like that." It wilts, like it, 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 and you're into the game of the power. So I feel like, I mean, the Christian life only uh, is available to the subconscious almost. Like it, it's like you know, how, like your subconscious has access to everything your conscious mind has access to, but your conscious mind can't access the subconscious, right? So like. So there are dreams you have or whatever from your day that, like, sometimes you're so much, but And I feel like that's where the kingdom lives, like, in this thing that we get as a gift. And if we grab it too tightly, it, it turns into a nightmare. But that's the beauty of the hope that resides in the gospel, is that as soon as we begin to think we are doing it on our own, or we begin to think we are doing it for ourselves, Christ steps in and takes over. And it, at that point, it no longer becomes about us. And we can keep going on with the righteous works that we are trying to fulfill. But Christ does something in the midst of that. And that's what I love about the sacraments. That's what I love about standing and standing and consecrating bread and praying over water is because I know that in the moment that I think I'm doing anything, I love that what you said. Christ that's what you love about sacraments. You said like you're in the voice. That's what I love about this band, the sacraments. Yeah, they played it well. <laughs> they got a band. I love but, it. But it, 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 it's, they nailed it. But the minute we think it's about us, it's no longer about us. Yeah. And I think that's the Christian life. The minute we think it's about us or anything we're doing, at that point it stops and Christ steps in. God steps in just as God stepped in through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Amen to that. And I, and I, think, I think the good news is when, when we take over and we realize we have Christ steps in, um, then we can repent and start all over. You know, I, I had that's a, grace. Yeah, I had a spirit. Yes, absolutely. There's hope. Yeah, I had a spiritual director say to me one time that, you know, 
being in the ministry is full of humiliations, but grace turns humiliation into humility. And that's something that we can walk in. And that's something that allows us, wherever, wherever, the, whatever we give up, uh, allows there to be more room for Christ. The more things we give up, the more things we lose, the more room there is for God. And I think that's maybe, I mean, those of us in ministry, it's because we weren't easily converted. Uh, I think those of us in ministry, it's because we're just tougher. And so God puts us in this position because we have to think about this all the time. Uh, because we have extra special humiliations in ministry. And I think, I think that's part of the gift and part of the challenge why we're here. I, really I know Jason really well, and he's anything but tough. I'm not. I'm barely a Christian. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. But for the grace of God. So we're going to close tonight, but we've got some money here. Bill, Tier are going to arm wrestle for it. And also, <laughs> also if you want to support, if, if you want to support the great work that we do, like Bill and I are doing and having Jason and Tyrone like Blake Ben Hart does. If you want to support and the great work that Crackers and Grape Juice is doing by having people like Scott and Bill on, exactly. you should go. We're not going to give you swag or anything like that, but we love you and we'll be in your life. You really should by grace. I, I, I think there should be like a Bachelor episode of Episcopal. Can we just close this out with Adam? Adam, the last words need to be second half of 1518. I can say that. Can Adam do that? I can say that. Where are you from originally? Okay. This is the last First of all, I want to say that Ben DeHart should take his shirt off because he's gorgeous. Of course. And second that if we're going to know anything about the gospel and the truth of the Christian faith, uh, it's that it was all really pretty much resolved in the second half of 1518. Hey listeners, thanks for joining us for today's episode of New Persuasive Words. Hope you enjoyed Scott and Bill's conversation and will join us back here next time. Until then, thanks for listening and God bless.